When uh, communism fell in the former Soviet Union back in 1991, uh, there were a lot of groups that were primed to infiltrate uh, Russia and uh, spread the gospel of Jesus in that uh, vast land that really had not had much Christian presence for over 70 years or so. And I was blessed to be a part of a small team from Tulsa in July of 1995 to uh, make a trip uh, to Russia. And in fact, some of you who are sitting here this morning helped me make that trip uh, financially. And it was a life-changing kind of experience. Uh, our team had targeted the community of Bisk. Uh, Bisk was a four-hour plane ride from Moscow to Barnuall, and then from Barnuall, a two-hour bus trip to Bisk. And we spent a little over two weeks there. Uh, each evening, I would lecture uh, from uh, Scripture, and during the day, we conducted a, a number of, of Bible studies. We uh, rented uh, several classrooms in an educational institution there in Bisk. Bisk, a city of about 100,000, and uh, was, was, very, was very ripe. Uh, Churches of Christ had had a missionary in there for several months, and we uh, arrived to assist him in... Uh, spreading uh, the gospel of Jesus in that uh, community. And, and as, we, as we begin to prepare as a team for that particular trip, you know, we, we studied, uh, uh, of course, uh, the gospel. We, we looked at uh, historical things that we might be able uh, to share with those who would come to visit with us. Uh, just studied a number of things that we thought might help open doors and give a better understanding uh, to the Russian people uh, who God is and who Jesus is as God's Son, our Lord, our, our Savior. And so we, we were pretty prepared, okay, and, and, and felt pretty confident uh, as we uh, became a part of, of that team and, and that campaign. I was very fortunate to meet two young college-age girls who were attending the university there and whose English was, was very good. And we were able uh, to communicate without uh, using a translator, without any, any problem. And one of the exciting things about that campaign was, was meeting university students, and they, they were so excited uh, to speak English and, and to learn and had a lot of questions uh, about the Bible. These two particular young ladies uh, somehow were assigned uh, to me, and, and we wound up having uh, four or five Bible studies through, through that week. And uh, or through those two weeks. And when we left as a team at the end of that campaign, campaign, those two young ladies, completely unprepared for this, had a couple of gifts for me. And I'm kind of getting teary-eyed now, just kind of thinking about it. And anyway, 
The sad thing about those two young ladies, even though there was a tremendous interest in the Bible, in learning about God, in learning about Jesus, they were also very interested and had been captivated, if you will, by Eastern philosophy, uh, reincarnation, uh, a lot of, of new, what we would kind of consider new age kinds of teachings. And I was not prepared for that. And, and felt uh, uh, somewhat defeated at the end of those two weeks. I, I hadn't quite convinced them of Jesus being their Savior. And those, those two weeks have, have kind of haunted me the rest of, of my life, wondering what ever happened to those university students. The same kind of thing was occurring in the ancient city of Colossae. Uh, Christianity had arrived in that community, and Paul wrote a little letter to those Christians, and he was concerned that they too had been captivated by human tradition. A tradition, a philosophy that depended not upon Jesus, but upon humanistic philosophy. And even says, depending upon the elemental uh, spiritual forces of this world. They had accepted Jesus... But now, for whatever reason, they were also being tempted to perhaps abandon their Christianity and were being captivated by these worldly philosophies. And so Paul writes to them, and he challenges them to remember the message of Jesus. And so really the theme of this letter is Jesus is sufficient. You don't need Jesus and a little of this or, or a little of that. Don't be captivated by those things. Don't be pulled away. Don't become distracted from that gospel message you first heard. And so when we think about our world today, we, we too are bombarded by a number of different philosophies. And maybe we too are tempted to think that maybe Jesus isn't quite sufficient enough. I mean, there's a place for Jesus in our lives. There's a place for his teachings. There's a place for his influence. But, but maybe Jesus is not enough. Maybe we also need to mix a little of this or, or a little of that. And, and what is the harm in, in bringing something in from this world? that might can help us in our, our spiritual lives, uh, a philosophy that maybe we can find a greater significance. And so because of that, I'm convinced that the message of Colossians is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago or as it was in 1995 in Beast, Siberia. We began a study of Colossians uh, last week and we're using uh, Colossians 2 verse 8 as our theme verse where Paul says, don't be taken captive. Don't be drawn away. Don't be dragged away. Don't be pulled away from your faith in Jesus. 
And we began our study last week by analyzing four traits that Paul lists in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 of what he calls a life worthy of the Lord, a life that pleases Jesus in every way. Those four things that he lists, a life that is worthy of the Lord, it bears fruit in every good work, it grows in the knowledge of God. It is strengthened with all of God's power. It joyfully gives thanks to the Father. Or, as N.T. Wright puts it, for those of us who, who understand who Jesus is and we've experienced the grace of God in our lives, our lives might be described or should be described as a life of thanks living that everything about us is a life of gratitude that we live and express to God. And so verse 12 continues in chapter 1 where Paul lists three reasons why we should give God thanks or three reasons why we should live this life of thanks living. So let's pick up the text once again in chapter 1 and begin reading in uh, verse 12 and continue through verse 14 and discover three reasons why we can give thanks to God or live this life of gratitude to God. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has, number one, qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, and in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right. Again, three reasons that Paul lists, and I'm behind on advancing the slides. We're already through that. Three reasons why we should live a life that is of joyful thanksgiving. Again, one of the four traits that Paul lists previously as a life that is worthy of Jesus. Well, number one, Paul says that God has declared us eligible for an inheritance. Uh, the NIV chooses the word qualified. That word means to make sufficient or to render fit, fit, God as our creator knows us better than we know ourselves. And he has provided for us and declared us fit to receive this inheritance. Or the word I have chosen, he's declared us eligible, right? There are a lot of things in this life where we seek eligibility to receive the benefits of. And in this case, in our spiritual case, God has declared us eligible to receive this inheritance. It is described as a kingdom of light. And we share in this inheritance with all of the saints who have previously lived, all of the holy ones that have given themselves uh, to God. So number one, the first reason that we have to be thankful to God, he has declared us eligible for this inheritance. Number two, Paul says that God has liberated us 
from the dominion of darkness. Uh, the word uh, rescued or liberated is a word that occurs 17 times in the New Testament. It means to preserve, it means to save, it means to free, it means to deliver. And here's the interesting thing. It always refers to God as the one who delivers. We might be tempted to try to deliver ourselves, but we can't do it. God is the only one who can, and He has done that for us. And we see this, this contrast between the kingdom of light, or this inheritance that He has declared us eligible for, in this dominion of darkness that He has liberated us or rescued us from. The word translated dominion uh, suggests uh, power or authority or control. And of course, light and darkness is a very common metaphor throughout Scripture to describe uh, the goodness of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of His Son as light, morally pure, versus the realm that is controlled and empowered by Satan as a darkness. And so the second reason that we have to live a life of thanksgiving is because God has liberated us from this dominion of darkness. And then number three, God has transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. God is not only in the search and rescue business, He is also in the rescue and relocate business. He not only has liberated us from this dominion or this realm of darkness, but in doing so, He has transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. Right? The word uh, brought, or that I have translated as transferred, means to remove and to place somewhere else, to shift or uh, to transport. Uh, we were once... Uh, living in, in this sphere of darkness, under the control of darkness. But because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, God has freed us of that, and not only has freed us, but has transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. And we are now citizens in the kingdom of Jesus. But Paul introduces in verse 14 an accompanying metaphor that he uses a few other times in his letter uh, as a word picture for our salvation. And it's the, the word redemption. The word redemption. This word is derived from a verb, verb which means to loose or to free or to deliver. So you can see why Paul would choose this metaphor in this text, uh, having already talked about God liberating us and freeing us and moving us and transferring us. But redemption does not mean deliverance in general, but a particular kind of deliverance. The payment of a price is a necessary component of the biblical concept of redemption, right? ransom, 
or a price paid. That is always inferred in this biblical word of redemption. Originally, redemption referred to the release of prisoners of war. A, a price would be paid to secure uh, the freedom of prisoners. It was then later used for the price paid for slaves to acquire their freedom. And, and most likely, that would be the use that would come to the readers of this letter originally. Uh, historians estimate that up to 40% of the general population in the Roman Empire were slaves. And one of the ways, one of the few ways that slaves could secure their freedom uh, was to somehow save enough money to purchase their freedom. And, and that ransom or that price paid is always embedded within this meaning uh, of redemption. Now Paul doesn't mention it in this particular text, but he does in Ephesians 1 verse 7. Ephesians is kind of, we might say, the sister letter uh, to uh, Colossians. Paul says almost the same thing, but he tells us in Ephesians 1 7 what that price was or the cost involved. And of course, it was the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus pays this price for us. We secure our freedom because Jesus was willing to give his blood. This, this idea of, of possessing it or, or having it points to the continuing and constant result of all this work that God did. I'm pointing to the screen because that's what I see, and maybe you've written it down, but the three things that God has done for us that we should be thankful uh, for. And, and really, it's all about forgiveness and the blessing of being in Christ and the blessing of being a part of God's family. And so redemption means forgiveness. In fact, the word translated forgiveness here, its root also is to loose or, or to free. And so when we have been redeemed, we have been free, we have been loosed of, of our sins. So as Paul has begun this letter, he has emphasized a life worthy of Jesus. And we discussed a little bit last week what it means to be in Christ. And a part of that life, a life that brings us into balance with Jesus, is being thankful and uh, having a life full of gratitude and living thanks living as, as who we are as God's uh, people. And Paul has listed three reasons why. So to conclude this morning, let me suggest four points uh, to ponder based on uh, this particular text. Again, remembering not to be captivated by worldly philosophy and remembering that Jesus is sufficient for our salvation. Well, number one, in doing what he does in this text, Paul is redirecting our focus to the work of God. A part of our culture, 
It, it, it tends to be kind of embedded within us, to be, to be independent, to be willing to kind of grab ourselves by the bootstraps, as we say, and, and, and uh, take care of things on our own. And, and spiritually, think, uh, spiritually speaking, sometimes we're tempted to do that as well. And so we try to uh, spiritually do everything on our own. We talked about that a little bit last week when the challenge was to tap into our power source and to remember that God provides the energy for us. And so if there's that temptation to depend on self, one thing that Paul does in listing these three reasons why we should be thankful uh, to God, he is wanting us to focus upon God's work and what God has done for us uh, through Jesus. And so as we, again, might be tempted to mix a little of our Christianity with whatever, to remember to focus upon what God has done and what God accomplished through Jesus on the cross. Number two, when you think about our inheritance, our inheritance is safe and secure. Have you ever seen bumper stickers like this? We're spending our children's inheritance or one like this, this big Winnebago, sorry kids, it's all spent, you know. All right? and, and maybe sometimes we're afraid we'll lose our inheritance somehow in this world. Not the case, not the case with God. Right? It is safe, it is secure. We can count on it. It will be there. For us when Jesus comes again or when we're ever, whenever we are, are called home. We don't have to worry about that. And so in this context, Paul is saying, because of that, why do you need anything else? Why would you be tempted, again, to add a little something to Jesus and to your Christianity? All right? Uh, you don't have to worry about your inheritance. It's safe. God can be depended upon. Number three, remember the paradox of redemption. And a paradox is not two physicians in a room. (laughs) Keith got it. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, A a paradox, two things that appear to be kind of contradictory. Right? and and kind of opposites that are brought together. Redemption is a paradox. We we have been freed from something only to become slaves of something. Paul develops this this theme more so in Romans 6. We have been freed of our sins. We are no longer captivated by sin, but now we become slaves of righteousness. We no longer seek to please ourselves. Now we seek to please God. And that's, that's the paradox. But fortunately, you know, God in, in his wisdom and God understanding us, you know, God is the one who provides the power to do just that. And again, Romans 6 provides good commentary for this idea of redemption or this paradox 
of, of being freed from something only to become slaves of something else. Then number four. Since we have been declared eligible, let's get in the game. Let's get in the game. There was um, a young man by the name of Abdul Adams, highly recruited running back, uh, enrolled at the University of Oklahoma, 2017. He was the primary running back, even set a record, an Oklahoma record, by running for a 99-yard touchdown against Baylor. But as the, season, as the season continued, his playing time diminished more and more. So this time last year, he decided to transfer. And so he transfers to Syracuse, and because of NCAA rules, he has to set out a semester. He is not eligible for an entire semester, this, this past fall semester. And now he, he has two years eligibility remaining uh, at Syracuse. Well, because the fall semester ended like on December 15th at Syracuse, and their bowl game in Orlando against West Virginia was on December the 28th, guess what? He was eligible. He was eligible. And so even though he hadn't played the entire past season, and even though he would be eligible to participate in spring practice and be a part of the team uh, the next two seasons, Adams began to work very hard because now he was eligible. And in that bowl game, his coach put him in. And guess what? He scored two touchdowns. And I'm thinking, why in the world did you transfer? You know, we can use somebody like you, you know, kind of a thing. But the point is, when he became eligible, he didn't wait. He got into the game. And, and here we are, having been declared eligible. You know, a lot of times, athletes transfer and they seek eligibility and they're not granted eligibility. But we are. And so why would we want to sit on the sidelines? Why would we want to remain on the bench Coach, put me in. And God has. God has put us in the game. And he wants us involved. So our challenge this week is to get into the game. Involve yourself. Be included. Do something that you haven't done before. You know what's coming. Go to Walmart and be kind. Be patient. Right? But somehow, get into the game. So, 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 many, so many times, we, we kind of sit on the sidelines, right? And we, and, and we watch, and we wait, and we're not quite ready, or whatever other excuse we might try to use. God says, listen, you're eligible. Get in there. Get in there. You know, I've had opportunity to coach on a high school level, and I've, I've coached some young men, uh, particularly in, in baseball. They didn't want in the game, and I'm like, why, why do you want a uniform if you don't want to play? And God's made us eligible. He's declared us eligible. So there's no excuse not to be in the game. 
So our challenge this week is, is get into the game. Contribute. Involve yourself. I do, do something in the name of Jesus this week that maybe you haven't done before. Visiting someone. Just committing a random act of kindness. Uh, involve yourself in a Bible study. Focus upon a text of, of Scripture. By the way, I'm beginning to receive more and more uh, verses of the year, and uh, I, I guess I should have said in that sermon that you only have a month to determine that. All right, so if you haven't determined your verse of the year by the end of January, well then, you're not eligible any longer. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> not eligible anymore, you know, to have a verse of the year. But we're, we're working uh, to maybe display those, those verses of the year uh, somehow. But get in the game. Right? That's, that's the bottom line. Get into the game. Right? Came across this story this past week um, as I was preparing uh, for or studying this, this concept of, of redemption. Frank McWhorter was born into slavery in 1777 in South Carolina. Frank learned business skills and earned more money than his master required him to pay. At the age of 22, Frank married Lucy, an enslaved African-American, on a neighboring plantation. Eight years later... Frank had earned and saved enough money to buy Lucy from her master for $800 and secure her freedom. Eight years later, Frank had earned enough money to purchase his own freedom at the same price. And then finally, in 1829... By this time, as a free man, as a, a free couple, he had uh, begun his own business and was very successful in it. He traded his business in exchange for the freedom of his oldest son, Frank Jr. Powerful story. And Frank McWhorter becomes the first African-American in the history of our nation to incorporate a brand new community, New Philadelphia, Illinois. You can look it up on the map. It's still there. Now, do you think Frank understood redemption? Do you think Frank understood the concept of freedom? In fact... He became known as Free Frank. That, that became his nickname. You can Google him up. There's, a, there's an entire website dedicated to this man's life and this, this powerful story. But Frank had to secure his own freedom. And, and, and he had to save and save for years and years and years to first of all part purchased the freedom of his wife and, and then his own, and later his son traded his whole business. And the beautiful thing for us is Jesus has paid the price for us. And, and, and do we fully understand that? Do we fully appreciate it? 
do we understand the significance of what it means to be redeemed, to be free, to live a life uh, uh, free of guilt, understanding what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Are we thankful? Do we live a life of thanksgiving? This morning in our adult Bible classes, the concept was learning to be joyful. And at least in our Bible class, we, we talked about how joy is a settled state. In, despite the circumstances, or in spite of the circumstances, we can remain joyful. We can remain thankful. We can continue to live a life of gratitude because we understand what God has done through Jesus. And we know, as our Heavenly Father, He's not going to buy a Winnebago and spend our inheritance. It is safe. It is secure. Therefore, we must live this, this life of gratitude. And that kind of life is contagious, right? It's powerful. Pe people will begin to ask questions. People will want to know, well, why are you so joyful all the time? In, 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 in spite of, of, of our circumstances. And we can say, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. So this morning, Keith's going to lead us in one more song. And as we sing this song, I, I challenge all of us to reflect upon where we are in our walk with our Lord. And to especially uh, seek a deeper understanding of what it means to be redeemed. To live a life of freedom for God and for Jesus. If you're subject to his invitation, please come while we stand and sing. Keep